Hello everybody and welcome back to the Forgotten Conservative. Um, just to kind of give you a brief update. I was working out of town for a couple of weeks. I got back into town Sunday. Um, I had recorded a podcast the previous Sunday, um, but wasn't able to review and edit so forth. Uh, then I dropped that one. Uh, I guess that would have been Monday. Uh, wanted to come to you last night, but uh, got some tough news yesterday. Um, kind of a bombshell, actually. But uh, I wanted to give a shout out to my good friend, uh, Nuovo Inizzi, a uh, very good friend of mine. Uh, sat with me last night, uh, kind of helped me process everything. Um, still not up to it, but you know, the best way to, uh, to deal with something like that is to kind of jump right back into it. Uh, hopefully I'll get back to work tomorrow and, um, start getting things, back on an even keel uh, but I wanted to give a shout out to her Nuovi Anitsi um, for just being a friend and uh, being there standing with me and helping me through this um, also want to give a quick shout out to my good friends Corey and uh, his wife Brandy uh, these guys are uh, Navy personnel serving here in town. Uh, they help, they listen to the podcast, help spread the word, and uh, very good friends. I, I missed them while I was out of town. Uh, got to spend some time with them Sunday and uh, just wanted to give them a quick shout out. So, uh, the reason I wanted to jump back into this is there's a bunch going, obviously. It, with this administration, um, it's just, it, we're, we're being bombarded. Uh, I did talk about in that last podcast, uh, being on the precipice of the event horizon. Uh, and this, and, and part of that was these infrastructure bills, but uh, now we're dealing with, we've, we've got a couple of Democrat senators Mansion and Cinema, uh, West Virginia and Arizona, respectively, that are kind of wavering. But uh, Mansion had an op-ed, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago, of why he could not vote for the $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill. Now, remember, the last time, you know, when I covered this, it's more like five and a half to six trillion. The reason they can say three and a half trillion with a straight face is that some of these programs that, or, or government agencies, but some of the stuff they're creating has a sunset of about five years. Well, as I've said time and time before, once a government program is started, it never ends. Uh, I can remember back in maybe 02 or 03, uh, Bush 41 GW, uh, I'm sorry, 43, uh, signed the uh, McCain-Feingold campaign finance reform bill, which was really odd. It, it really was a bad, bad piece of legislation. Uh, I personally think it was unconstitutional, but at the time he signed it, he basically said that he was going to sign the bill because he felt like something should be done. He didn't agree with that particular piece of legislation, but he was going to sign it because he believed the courts would rule it unconstitutional at a later date. Well, sure enough, as this thing made its way through the court system, uh, it was not overturned. It was upheld as being constitutional. So 
you you pretty much can guarantee, just like we've seen with Obamacare signed in May, I believe, of 2010, that once the program has started, people, even Republicans, they do not want to stop it. They don't want to be the dirty bad guys that keeps grandma or little Joey from being able to get services or be accused thereof, even though that since probably 1968 or 69 under LBJ, there's been a law in the books, and we all know this, you cannot be refused medical attention because of your inability to pay. So in the very end, it doesn't matter whether you have health care, okay? Because if you need medical service, you can receive medical service. Now, can you go in there if you've got the friggin' sniffles? Well, that might be a different story. Can you go in there for preventative maintenance? Probably not. But if, if you break an arm or a leg or if you have... Uh, you know, some something, a heart attack or a, a wreck or something along those lines and you do not have insurance, you will receive the best medical care that facility has to offer. That's just a fact of life. Um, nevertheless, so we've got this quote-unquote $3.5 infrastructure deal. Manchin has said, he cannot go along with anything above about $1.5 trillion. Now, they can, obviously they have to pare some stuff down. But some Democrats are looking at it like, I guess the traditional, the old dog Democrats are looking at it like, well, if we can just get, get it started, we can come back at a later date to extend it. The progressives, i.e. the Marxists of the group, AOC, Tlaib, and those guys are looking at this like, no, we want it right now. And unfortunately, that group of Marxists, uh, which uh, they, they self-name themselves progressives, or Democrat socialists like uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, those guys want everything all at once. But yet they seem to be, even though they're a, a small minority, think about this. It, the United States House of Representatives has 435 members. This group of progressives, uh, you probably have five to 10, what I would call hardcore, maybe another dozen, if that, that are a little less extreme. Then you've got the normal Democrats, which suck, but nevertheless, more traditional Democrats. And then you've got a group of about 30, maybe 40 or so of those Democrats that are in purple districts or districts that in the last Congress, that seat was held by a Republican. Especially, I think there's like eight or 10 uh, in California alone that um, as a result of 2020 election mm, shenanigans, let's say, that Democrats stole Republicans. I mean, it was a sweep, and not an entire sweep of the state, but on those eight or ten districts, you know. Now, a lot of them went to runoffs or uh, recounts, etc. But time and time again, in those eight to ten California districts, the Democrat suddenly found votes. Uh, there were votes that were not counted on election day whatever, you name it, they came up with the votes. But they are in former Republican or red districts within the state of California. So 
these guys are facing the same dilemma that they did back in 2010, where they pretty much know if they toe the party line and vote on this radical, both of these radical uh, quote-unquote infrastructure bills, that they're probably going to be one and done. They'll serve one term in Congress. Yes, they're going to run for re-election, but they're going to be defeated. And they may be even primaried, but uh, they, they'll be defeated in the general. I don't think it's any secret that uh, the people, the Pelosi's, the Schumer's of the world think that the Senate may go back to being a Republican majority, maybe by one or two. But I think it's pretty clear that in the House of Representatives, uh, the Democrats are, are, are going to take a whooping um, come the 2022 midterms. So, so when I say that old guard wants to get in whatever they can, they know that this may be their only shot before the 2022 midterms. Uh, they have to do this under reconciliation. What does that mean? Well, under normal procedures, a bill passes the House by a simple majority and goes to the Senate. The Senate passes its version. Two committees from each body get together and they work out the differences between the two bills. There's a thing called cloture or the filibuster. That takes 60 votes to proceed. This is a 150-year-old tradition. However, reconciliation is used that which bypasses the filibuster rules of the Senate in order to pass through bills typically reserved for spending, okay? It's not intended to pass normal legislation, but going back to 2010, Obamacare passed under reconciliation. They didn't have the 60 votes to get past the filibuster, but they were able to use reconciliation. They were able also to use reconciliation because on paper, the bill looked like it paid for itself. Obamacare looked like it paid for itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, what they did there was they projected the spending out to 10 years. They also projected that these high premiums that would be paid by the younger demographics, which is, let's say, the, the graduate, the college 20, 22-year-olds up through the 35 to maybe 40-year-olds that we required way less medical attention, i.e. services, to pay these higher premiums. So they would pay the higher premiums, not use the services, but the services would be used by the next demographic or the next generation or two that did not qualify under Medicare, but it also expanded Medicaid, which a lot of these governors, even Republican governors, jumped on because you could expand Medicaid, which is what Obamacare primarily did to cover up to the 20 million uninsured that they were referring to. It was primarily based on expanding Medicaid. So, in other words, they made disability easier to acquire, uh, which if you're receiving some form of disability, then you automatically pretty much qualify for Medicaid. Um, so they created a lot of disorders, uh, redid the medical codes, and projected this out for 10 years. Of course, the problem was when these kids or young adults started looking at these price tags and said, hey, I'm sitting here paying two, 
2500 $3,000 worth of premiums. Well, if I choose not to have Obamacare, then when I file my income taxes, I'm only deemed six or seven, eight hundred dollars. And I don't have to physically write a check because it comes out of my return. It comes out of the taxes I've already overpaid. So yes, I get back less of a refund, but it's still no money out of my pocket. Well, when that started happening, then Obamacare immediately started to fail. And when I say fail, healthcare providers were providing services. None of that changed. But the ability to pay for the healthcare covered the expenses without incurring further debt. Well, that's where the problems came in. That's when you heard Republicans talking, uh, going into the 2012 election in 2014 midterms that Obamacare was about to implode because it was not taking in the money that was projected in the original bill, which was enough to pay for itself. Now, the reason I'm going over this is we've got now this so-called crisis of raising the debt limit. Now, I've said this also before. If you worked in the private sector, if you owned a, a small business or, you know, God help you, bless you, if you owned a corporation and you ran your books like the federal government runs theirs, you would be jailed. You would be jailed. You would be ridiculed. You'd be on every network and cable news station, six o'clock news, what have you, being the big, bad, greedy guy, scamming the little folks, taking away from the common man, taking away from the, the middle class, the blue collar guy, the farmer. You would be vilified for running a business the way the federal government runs its books. So we had uh, <laughs> Sleepy Joe come out, uh, I guess it was Monday morning with the little press conference. And he pretty much railed on Republicans, uh, said this was all the Republicans' fault they were the blame and talked about the dire circumstances that the United States would be in if the Republicans did not go along and support the debt limit increase. Now I want to play for you a little bit of this speech because it is almost 100% factually untrue. In other words, a lie. But I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it, and then I want to explain to you how, just how this is a lie. See, when Trump was president, or a Republican, going back to the GW years, you have these news organizations, um, political pundits, and you have people talking about, oh, the president's a liar, the president's a liar. Well, it's very easy to say that somebody is telling a lie, but quite often, they don't give you the evidence of that lie. Or they don't say, okay, here's what the president's remarks were. Here's what is the 100% actual truth. Okay, the reason you don't get that juxtaposition is because there's no truth behind the accusation 
that it's a lie in the first place. What Joe Biden did Monday is the same thing he's done pretty much his entire career. Okay, but now he's got the bully pulpit of the presidency. This is the same thing he did with COVID. This is the same thing he did with Afghanistan. This is the same thing he did with that blankety-blank, you-know-what, George Stephanopoulos, when Stephanopoulos asked him, were you advised or did any of your military or uh, spy personnel advise you not to pull out, to wait, to leave residual forces, so on and so forth? And Biden told him no. He told him no. That none of and, and yet Millie, there was two or three of them that testified last week that said, yes, as a matter of fact, each one of them said under oath in, in hearings before the Senate one day and then the House the next day, each one of those three guys said, yes, in fact, he had advised the president to temper the withdrawal and to leave a residual force of some sort. I think they kind of disagreed on the numbers, but the, the consensus was the 2,500. That seems to be the consensus by not only those three guys, which they're all... Um, they're not worth their weight. It, it, you know, you can't trust them for one, but I do believe they advised him. I just believe Joe uh, Biden was staunch on not going into Afghanistan. Obama pissed Biden off. That's a matter of record. Obama was against it. Or I'm sorry, uh, Biden was against it. Obama campaigned on it. Biden was against getting bin Laden. But Obama knew that Clinton had given, you know, had turned his back on Obama. Sorry, Osama bin Laden. Okay, Clinton had him in the crosshairs in the mid to late 90s and passed on him. And, and Biden, Osama bin Laden would have been out of our hair back in the 90s. And when the, the courier, which the information we got from Khalid Sheikh Mohammed doing the evil, nasty waterboarding, okay, he didn't give us that information during the waterboarding process. What he did was he went back to his cell and was communicating uh I don't know if it was via phone call. I don't recall the specific details, but he he was big on telling somebody, do not give the Americans, do not tell them about the courier. And this was said two or three times. And so our intelligence said, what is this guy talking about? The courier, who is the courier? They researched, they found out who the courier was. They tracked the courier. That's how they found Osama bin Laden, which was a direct result for, from the water, waterboarding process. So uh, Biden was against all of that and against taking out bin Laden. So he didn't care what these career generals told him or anybody else. Now, his cabinet members were all hand-picked. Blinken, a career bureaucrat, worked in the uh, Obama administration. He's been a personal assistant type with Biden for quite some time. So he's not going to go against the president, and he, he's going to do exactly what he's he's been doing. He's going to stand up and defend him. He's going to uh, obfuscate and deflect questions, not give answers, because there are no answers 
to defend Biden and his actions. So I want to play a little bit of this press conference and point out these lies. And then once we, we hear some of these lies, then I want to go back and explain to you how this whole process works. Let's see here. All of a sudden, we have got an ad to play through. Um, but it's it's quite remarkable how how ballsy this guy is. Talked about what we need today to to, uh, to raise the debt limit. And while the Republicans in Congress. What they're doing today is so reckless and dangerous, in my view. Raising the debt limit comes down to paying what we already owe, what has already been acquired, not anything new. It starts with a simple truth. The United States is a nation that pays its bills and always had. Okay. That right there is line number it's one. Exception. It pays for the debt we already owe. Okay, lie number one. We've never defaulted. What we pay for, so it keeps us a great nation. Social Security benefits for seniors, salaries for brave service members, and benefits for veterans, and other financial obligations for our people and for our nation. We're able to meet these obligations. Lie number two. Okay, brave service members. Uh, Social Security benefits. Okay, first of all, there's a law on the books that a federal statute that says no matter what, certain services continue to get paid. Um, remember, Social Security, we're told that that's a trust fund. You have a Social Security trust fund, you have a, have a Medicare trust fund that comes out of your paychecks. So those programs are paid for. No matter what happens, when the government shuts down due to Congress, when the government shuts down due to COVID, no matter what case, if the government shuts down, those services are covered. Military or, or, or active service members, Reserves. Those guys, those guys get their paychecks. Uh, veterans benefits. Those guys get their paychecks. Okay? Now, the, the ones that may not get paychecks, well, if you work for the National Parks or if you work, work for the Department of Education or somewhere, something like that, well, then guess what? If the government shuts down for a week, you get a week's vacation. When the government starts running again, you get back pay. You don't you you do not lose your money. You don't get it on time, but you get it. And because of that, most of these agencies, these employees, they're all union. Okay, so there's union programs that is that has um, paycheck protection insurance. So if a government shutdown does occur, you still get maybe two-thirds of your pay. Some of these unions have programs that will guarantee 100% of your pay. And, and these guys pay two, three, five bucks a, a pay period for this insurance. And, and, and here's the beauty of it. If you're working for one of these agencies and you've got paycheck um, protection insurance and the government shuts down for a week, you get your check. And when the government starts back up again and they send you your back pay, you just got a free check. So now you truly got a week's paid vacation. Now, that program's not prevalent and not all employees are subject to it, but certainly 
there's a number of gover government agency employees that do have those type of paycheck, excuse me, uh, protection insurance programs. This is based on the revenue we receive from taxes and based on our ability to borrow what, when needed. And in that case, we're able to borrow because we always pay our debt. We always pay what we owe. We've never failed. That's America. That's who we are. That's what's called for. It's called full faith and credit of the United States. It's rock solid. It's the best in the world. But here's the deal. There's a cap on what we can borrow called the debt limit. And only Congress can raise or lower that debt limit. So let me be really clear. This is really important to know. Raising the debt limit is about paying off our old debts. There's nothing to do with any new spending being considered. There's nothing to do with my plan for infrastructure. Okay. That's the second time he said it. We're two minutes into this speech, and that's the second time he stated this lie. This comes down to pay, let me be clear, this comes down to paying our old debt. Okay? Debt we've already incurred. Now, he's about to go into, this does not uh, have anything to do with these two infrastructure bills that are being debated by the House and the Senate. Listen. We're building back better. Zero. Zero. Both of which I might add are paid for. So if we're going to make good on what's already been approved by previous Congresses and previous presidents and parties, we have to pay for it. Social Security benefits. The American people are promised. Salaries for servicemen and women. Benefits for veterans. We're going to have to raise the debt limit if we're going to meet those obligations. And raising the debt limit is usually a bipartisan undertaking. And it should be. That's what is not happening today. The reason we have to raise the debt limit is in part because of the reckless tax and spending policies under the previous Trump administration. In four years, they incurred, they incurred nearly $8 trillion. In four years, $8 trillion in additional debt. In bills, we have to now pay off. That's more than a quarter of the entire debt incurred now outstanding. Okay. Now, this is very interesting and quite ballsy for this blank, blankety-blank, to even utter these words to say that Trump spent $8 trillion in four years. Four years. Come on, man. Four years. And then he's going to compare it to the previous 44 presidents. Now, we know that in Obama's eight years, he spent more, or not only spent, but incurred more debt in Obama's eight years than the previous 43 presidents. Okay? So, Barack Obama, in eight years, added about $10 trillion to the debt. When GW left office, the debt was about $9 trillion, 8 to $9 trillion, depending on where you look. When Trump comes in at 40, you know, number 45, your total debt was around $18.5 to $19 trillion. So Obama added more debt than the previous 43 presidents. So, Obama adds 10 trillion. Trump adds, we'll go with Papa Joe here, he adds 8 trillion. What happened? 
What happened in the last year of Trump's presidency? COVID, the pandemic. And there was probably, I would say, three to four trillion dollars added to the debt last year alone. And you still had Biden, Pelosi, uh, Schumer. You had all those bad Democrats saying Trump is responsible for every single COVID death. Even though Trump spent money hand over fist, which I didn't agree with. I didn't agree with stimulus one, stimulus two, nor stimulus three. Did I take the money? Did I spend the money? Dadgum right I did. That doesn't mean that I agreed with the debt because the stimulus checks were just probably, I would say, 3 to 5% of the total debt those bills incurred. I mean, there's still money not spent from all three uh, stimulus packages. But Biden's going to sit here and talk about the $8 trillion that Trump spent in four years when he knows about 50% of that was incurred as a result of the China virus. What he doesn't mention is he signed a COVID relief bill. They're working on a $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill that's more like about a $3 trillion bill. Same type of mathematics, okay? Same fuzzy math, so to speak. And another three and a half, AKA five and a half to six trillion. So if you add up five and a half trillion, three and a half trillion, and 1.9 trillion from the first uh, COVID package that Biden signed, guess where those numbers add up? 10 to 11 trillion in one year. In one year. And this guy is going to sit here and lecture us lie to us and say that this current debt limit crisis is a result of Trump spending $8 million in four years and he's going to surpass that in 10 months. After more than 200 years. And Republicans in Congress raised the debt at three times when Donald Trump was president, and each time with Democrat support. But now they won't raise it, even though they're responsible for more than $8 trillion in bills incurred in four years under the previous administration. That's what we'd be paying off. They won't raise it, even though defaulting on the debt would lead to a self-inflicted wound that takes our economy over a cliff and risks jobs and retirement savings, Social Security benefits, Salaries for service members, <coughs> benefits for veterans, and so much more. Okay, he continues to use the same tropes of Social Security, Medicare, um, active duty pay, military vet services, health care, etc. All right, now. We've already discussed that a lot of those are covered, number one, by federal statutes, that they are to be paid regardless, okay? Another thing that he's not telling you is that, you know, as I stated, out of your paycheck, your Medicare or Social Security is coming in anyway. So even if the government, like I said, shuts down, that those funds are still coming in. Okay, so in other words, 
the way that this Ponzi scheme works is right now, everybody that's earning from 15, 16 years old that's collecting a paycheck until they quit working, 60s, 70s, some of them in the 80s, etc. Okay, every if you're making under $120,000 a year, I believe, okay, Social Security benefits, uh, once, I think they stop once you hit 120000 uh, that number may have been raised over the last year or two, but at some point, you quit paying into Social Security for that particular calendar year. Well, that's the, the so-called 1%. Okay? Most of us don't attain that number. Now, we may attain that number if you're married and, you know, both guys are, you know, working a, a decent job. You may as a couple, but that's not how Social Security is, is generated or is determined. It goes on the individual. Okay? So every week you go to work, you get your paycheck, and no matter what you say, no matter what you do, federal income tax comes out, Social Security comes out, Medicare comes out. So let's break those three down. Medicare, obviously, pays the bills for the seniors that are receiving Medicare today. Folks like my parents, who are both basically retired. Okay, because they're retired, they're on Medicare. Their employer did not, which some do, some don't. Some may offer health insurance for a year, like a COBRA-type deal. Some don't offer that. Some, uh, I think the United Auto Workers at one point offered health care for life. They had to change that because as uh, the famous category of unfunded liabilities, okay? Unfunded liabilities, quite simply, when you hear that term, the best way to think about it is if you call into work sick or if you take a vacation, for that week of vacation, you are an unfunded liability, okay? So basically, you're not working. You're not being productive. You're not adding to the bottom line. You're on a beach in Malibu uh, drinking a, a, a blue drink with a damn umbrella in it, and you're not adding to the company bottom line. But yet, you're making a paycheck. That is the simplest way to look at what an unfunded liability is. So when, when like UAW, you would work for Chrysler, GM, or Ford for 30 years and retire and then get health care for, for life, well, guess what? You started there out of high school. You're 18, 19 years old. You retire at 48, 50. Okay? Now you've got a damn good pension and health care for the rest of your life. And you could go to Walmart and be a greeter. Most of these guys were rehired by the same company um, making buku bucks as private contractors. But they still had their health care paid for. So your Medicare that comes out of your check pays for today's seniors under the promise that when you're a senior many, many decades from now, that younger generation is going to pay for your health care. Same thing with Social Security. Okay, now originally we were told that all these funds were going into a trust fund and they would collect interest. And they would not be touched. Okay? That's what we were told when we were sold the bill of goods. 
But that's not the case. But Social Security and Medicare will continue to be paid. Military vets, services, active military paychecks, government pensions. If you've worked for the federal government, if you're a post uh, a mailman, or if you was a forest ranger, or whatever, and you've retired from the government, and now you're on a government pension, you still, by federal statute, you get your paycheck every week, two weeks, monthly, whatever, without fail. That is by statute. So when this man sits there and, and tells you that part of raising the debt ceiling covers those services, it's a flat-out lie. Here's the other thing. Our service on the debt, in other words, our interest on the debt, every month is $44 billion, with the B, dollars. So the interest on the money that we have borrowed from 1776 to now, the trillions of dollars that we have borrowed, Every month, we owe $44 billion. Take a guess what our income is every month. Our income is approximately $320 billion. So, when he lies about past debt, or he lies about not servicing our debt. Look at the numbers, Joe. Our minimum service requirement is $44 billion. We take in $320 billion. Medicare, Social Security has its own funds. Pensions military paychecks, government services, comes out of that roughly 85% left over once we pay the $44 billion. So why raise the debt limit, Joe? Come on, man. Shoot straight. Why raise the debt limit? And here's that moment. If you saw that movie, A Few Good Men, when Colonel Nathan R. Jessup was on the stand, Tom Cruise was hammering. And he says, Colonel Jessup, I have just one more question before I ask the airman. Uh, one of them was O'Malley. I forget the other one. Before I bring those guys to the stand. If you said your orders are always followed, why was it necessary to transfer Santiago off the base? And in that moment, you knew that he was had. You knew Tom Cruise had him. So Joe, here's my question. If these two new infrastructure bills are totally paid for, three and a half and one and a half trillion, $5 trillion, Joe. If these $5 trillion bills are totally paid for, they're free, Joe. You said they won't cost the taxpayer any new spending. And we know that Social Security is paid for, Medicare is paid for, to service our debt is $44 billion, and we've got $320 billion, which is a whole lot of money left over. Joe, if these two infrastructure bills do not cost the American people a dime, why raise the debt ceiling, Joe? Come on, man. Why raise the debt ceiling, Joe? Because you're an effing liar.
That's why. You know that these programs are going to cost. You are not going to bring in the revenue from the taxes that you guys are projecting. Here is the easiest way to look at the debt limit. Okay, the debt limit, if you've got a credit card and you've got a $10,000 limit on the credit card and you've went out, you've went on vacation, you've been on a cruise and your credit is at $9,500 <clears throat> and you see a hot tub you want to buy, it's $5,000 and you call Capital One and you say, hey man, can you raise my debt limit? Are they going to say, no, we can't raise your debt limit because that's you got to pay for the debt that you've already spent. Okay, that's, that's what being responsible or a responsible government is. What Joe's trying to make you understand or make you believe is that you have to raise the debt to pay for that $9,500. How does that work? Okay. You don't raise your credit limit to pay back the debt you've already incurred. So in other words, what Joe's trying to say that this money is for is you've got a $10,000 credit limit and you want to raise it to fifteen. So the credit card company says, okay, we're going to raise it to 15. What Joe Biden is wanting you to think, what he's telling you is the truth, is that you would take that brand new $5,000 and pay down the $9,500. Well, guess what? If you take the brand new 5000 and turn around and give Capital One $5,000, guess what? You're back at $9,500. So it, it, on the surface, it doesn't even make sense what this man, the BS this guy's trying to give us. You don't raise debt to pay for money you've already borrowed. When I talk about these stimulus packages that there's money still left to be spent, that money is sitting somewhere in a bank collecting interest. But it's already borrowed. The, the $44 billion that we're paying to service it every month, the, that $44 billion takes into consideration that money that hasn't been spent yet, but it's been borrowed. So in other words, it's like your $10,000 credit limit with Capital One. Instead of going and buying goods and, <coughs> excuse me, goods and services, you go to the bank and you just get a $9,500 uh, cash advance. And you, you know, you buy a cruise, you buy a boat, you do this, you do that, but you save about 2000 and you just put 2000 into your savings account. Well, on your Capital One bill every month, you're still paying interest on the 9500 that you borrowed. So your debt service your credit card payment, minimum payment, is based on the 9500 If you raise it another 5000 your credit limit, okay, the, the only way that is effective, um, affects anything, is if you borrow that full 5000 which is what they need to do to pass these two infrastructure bills. Because if these two infrastructure bills do not cost the American taxpayer any money, there's no reason to raise the debt limit. Now, a 
big part of that is they don't want to cut any spending either. They want to spend, spend, spend. But that's how easy this man could go on national TV. Not only can he go on to national TV and he can lie to the American people, and this is very simple terms, and I hope I've made it very clear how all this process works. But it is very simple. that He even contradicted himself. That's how, how simple of a process this is to understand. But the bad part is, not only can that man just go up there and lie better than George Costanza ever could, okay, then everybody on these media news outlets, NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, CNBC, CNN, you name it, they go up there and they repeat the friggin' lie. They fall in line, lock, stock, and barrel. And act like Joe Biden is the most compassionate. He's, he just, he's looking out for number one, the country. He does not want us to default. And they promote the lie. And if it was Donald J. Trump saying the exact same thing, you'd have a thousand fact checkers doing the little uh, Chiron graphics across the bottom of the screen. Lie, lie, lie. All right, guys, it is. I am running out of time here. Um, hopefully all this made sense. Uh, numbers sometimes are hard to follow, but um, hopefully it made sense. Like, share, sub subscribe, and thank you again for joining us here on The Forgotten Conservative. See you next time.